The Syracuse Sports Podcast presented by the Bill Rapp Superstore. Always a great deal. Always the smart choice. Always a great place to talk SU hoops with Brian and Bruce Rapp. Those guys bleed orange. Celebrating the season with slam dunk deals on Subarus, Buicks, GMCs, and live market pricing on pre-owned vehicles. It's an all-star shopping experience. Bubbles, Bracketology, and Quadrants, oh my. Bubbles, Bracketology, and Quadrants, oh my. So where does Syracuse sit after the loss to North Carolina? Patrick Stevens, one of the best bracketologists in college basketball, is going to break it down for us here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast today. But first, a word on the orange. Look, I know this Syracuse team is on the bubble, and they're probably going to be there for the rest of the season. Beat Duke on Saturday, and that's really going to help your cause. Can't slip against Boston College, and is it me, or is that Clemson game starting to turn into a really big game at the Carrier Dome to end the regular season? And then you got the parachute of the ACC tournament, and maybe Syracuse could pick up another win or two there to shore up their resume. But let's, right here, right now, coming off that North Carolina game, tell me this is not a a team that deserves to be in the NCAA tournament just by how they play, how competitive they are against some of the best teams in the country. I mean, look, three guys, Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett, Frank Howard, three guys provide, what, 90% of Syracuse's points in that game? Pascal, Matthew Moyer, Barama, Merrick Doljai, I think had a combined eight points in that game. Brissett, Howard, Battle scored 66 of Syracuse's 74 points against the Tar Heels. Three guys on one night almost beat a team that looks like it's starting to round out into Final Four and championship form again. Carolina's won six in a row, and they're cruising. Miami, we won at Louisville. Nobody thought we could win either game. So, yeah, I'm absolutely encouraged. We're playing good, playing really good basketball. Uh, North Carolina has been playing really good defense. We shot 50% in the second half. I thought we did the things we needed to do to win. And uh, you're a 70-70 game, and you give the ball away. That's it's not a good play. Can't make those plays. Tell me, Syracuse, with the way they play, and I know you're not supposed to compliment teams because they bust their hump game in and game out. You're supposed to play that way, right? But this Syracuse team is a pleasure to watch because they do that, and they do that with only six, sometimes seven guys in the rotation. They have no one else. All we got is us, right? And that's all we need. I think the Philadelphia Eagles use that as their kind of mantra going through the Super Bowl. I want to see Syracuse play in the tournament just because they are the consummate example of the team that just get there, just get in, hit the reset button, and see what you can do. Now, mind you, Wednesday night's game was at home. Can Syracuse provide that same magic, say, in Dayton, Ohio, in the first four, or Boise, or someplace they're going to get shipped off to? They do try to keep teams relatively close to home as possible, but if you just sneak in the tournament, you're not going to get that benefit of the doubt. So now Syracuse gets Duke on Saturday, who just clobbered Louisville on Wednesday night. What I like about that game, while there are certainly differences between Duke and North Carolina, Syracuse showed against Carolina Wednesday night that if they just got to run out and play— and get in a high-tempo game, they can do it. They're basketball players. They want to play basketball. These guys want to score. They want to drive. They want to move the ball. Nobody moves the ball as well as North Carolina. Frankly, that was a thing of beauty on Wednesday night. But as much as Syracuse has had success using their zone defense, being deliberate, what are they, 318th in the country, something like that, in terms of time of possession, yeah, Syracuse is not a team that 
can push the tempo game in and game out. But when they have to against one of the better teams in the country, they showed they can. So now you go to Cameron Indoor Stadium, the number five team in the country who may or may not have Marvin Bagley the third. Okay, there's one out of five NBA players on that team that may not be in that game. But tell me you don't think Syracuse has a shot. Now, to be honest, the North Carolina game, I never felt like Syracuse was going to get over the hump. But I never felt like North Carolina put their foot on Syracuse's throat either. And Carolina answered everything Syracuse threw at them with a Joel Berry shot, a steal, a play, Theo Pinson getting through the zone again. But Syracuse kept fighting back. To do that at Cameron Indoor Stadium is a whole different thing. But we've Syrac- we have seen Syracuse play well there. I recall a, a coat coming off Jim Beheim a couple of years ago. Bottom line is, it is great to be going into the last bit of February here, and Syracuse is still very much in the conversation. Last year, even though Syracuse picked up a win over Duke at the Carrier Dome, you knew that the resume before that just wasn't good enough. And I think Selection Sunday kind of became a moot point. This year, Selection Sunday looks very much like there's going to be some drama there for the Orange. Duke, Boston College, Clemson in the regular season, and then what the Orange can do in Brooklyn in the ACC tournament. That's what remains. They're sitting squarely on the fence, right on the bubble of this NCAA tournament, and they could go either way. But the way this team plays, I think they've already earned a tournament bid in my book. But they don't award tournament bids on effort. They award them on resumes. So how is Syracuse's NCAA tournament resume? One of the best bracketologists in college basketball, Patrick Stevens, will tell me coming up after this word from Bill Rapp. How about a shout-out to a team that's never on the bubble, the Bill Rapp Superstore. Brian and Bruce, those guys bleed orange. They love talking hoops with you, and they're celebrating the season with slam-dunk deals. Boom, basketball reference. New Subarus, Buicks, GMCs, you can get live market pricing on pre-owned vehicles. How about credit approved, value on your trade, you can calculate your payments online. That's a good idea. Get on BillRapp.com and figure it out there because you always get a great deal. It's always the smart choice. And you can shop online at BillRap.com. So we're here with Patrick Stevens. And Patrick, as we speak, Syracuse is coming off that loss to North Carolina on Wednesday night. They've got Duke coming up on Saturday and another Quadrant One possibility against Clemson to end the season on March the 3rd. As you look at Syracuse's resume right now, where do they stand? I think they're right around the edge of the field. Um, I, I think one of the things that you have to like about Syracuse, and this might sound like a backhanded compliment, but there's not a lot bad about it. When, when, you, when you look at them, they played, a, they played a perfectly solid non-conference schedule, actually an excellent non-conference schedule. Uh, there's no you know, truly mysterious losses. I mean, I think you'd rather not have that loss to Georgia Tech on the road. Um, and... I think in the past that would have been a, a bigger issue. Probably in the quadrant system it won't hurt them quite as much. Uh, they, they've won on the road, which is a distinct difference from last year. They're 5-5 they're five and five away from home, and, and they've beaten some decent teams uh, on the road. They beat Miami, they beat Louisville, two other teams that, that you're looking at at the edge of the field. So at the same time, the top of the resume isn't all that hefty. Uh, there is the Miami win. There's the home victory over Virginia Tech that looks a bit more valuable than it did back on New Year's Eve. Uh, and so, you know, you also look at the fact that there are opportunities for Syracuse to distinguish itself 
down the stretch with, with the Duke game uh, and, and like the, and the Clemson game, like you mentioned. So I, I think for the Orange, the opportunities are still there, but, but they are far from a sure thing at this stage. If they can pull this off, they had a chance Wednesday to do it and came up just short. If they can pull off a win at Duke on Saturday, would that be one of the more significant wins that a bubble team has? I, I would think so. You know, that would go up there with Virginia Tech at Virginia, for example. Uh, as, as a as a really really high end triumph that you're that you're looking at later and thinking that that's that's significant it would it would be even better than say NC State's victory over Duke and Raleigh uh, a home court win for the Wolfpack so uh, when you start thinking about those teams that that are top tier and what have you you, you think of uh, you know, there's only so many of those Villanova losses or Michigan State losses or Purdue losses or Xavier losses floating around out there, so or Duke or Virginia. So uh, that that would that would certainly help Syracuse. I mean, I, I think two years ago, uh, winning at Duke was effectively the, the the biggest reason why Syracuse even made the field. Uh, remember, at that point, everybody was wondering whether that team was going to get in, or and it ended up bypassing Dayton and getting a 10 seed, and then the bracket broke well for them, and they made the Final Four. Um, I don't know if this Syracuse team can do that, uh, but I do think that a, that a victory at Duke would, would distinguish Syracuse from a lot of teams at the edge of the field. Patrick, who are some of the key bubble teams that Syracuse fans should keep a close eye on here as we go down the stretch? There's a lot of them this year. I, I think if you just look at the middle of the ACC standings, you're going to see a lot of them. You, you see Virginia Tech, NC State, Miami, Louisville. Uh, you look to a team like St. Bonaventure uh, that, that probably can play its way into the field. I think it's in at the moment, uh, but I, I think it, it has a tough enough finish to conference play that there's a chance it slips up here and there. Uh, I think you look at some of the teams out of the Big 12, like Baylor and Kansas State, you wonder if Oklahoma completes the collapse that it seems to be in, whether whether it ultimately finds its way into the field. Uh, I, I think you look and see maybe if a couple of those Pac-12 teams, UCLA and Southern Cal, slip up. Uh, toward the end of the season, you look at Marquette and Providence out of the Big East, I think more so than, than anybody else in that league. Uh, and, and I think you keep an eye on a team like Nebraska out of the Big Ten, which I, I don't think has as good a profile as some people think. They see the gaudy win total. There's just not a whole lot of meat on the bones there. And then you maybe look at some of the teams toward the end of the SEC uh, that, that have a shot. Uh, but maybe could be vulnerable to a to a full fledged collapse here over the last week and a half, two weeks of the season, uh, and, and they're they're numerous. Uh, a lot of those teams seem to just kind of shift back and forth. They, they seem almost determined to almost all go one and one every week and just kind of hold steady. Uh, you know the Missouris of the world, uh, but I think that most of them will ultimately be okay simply because they do keep finding ways to win. But there's a lot of teams at the edge of the field to be concerned about. And I would also point out the other things to think about are teams like Nevada in the Mountain West, um, whether they win their conference tournament or not, because that would eat up a that large bid. Does Gonzaga or St. Mary's win the, win the West Coast Conference? Can Rhode Island continue its dominance and win the Atlantic 10? Uh, or does that ultimately go to St. Bonaventure, or does it go to a third mystery team in that league and, and eat up another bid? So those are the other things to keep an eye on. Patrick, is the quadrant system an improvement over what the selection committee was doing in the past? I'm sort of confused here because they're still using the RPI. I think that we can evaluate the quadrant system better on the night of 
March 10th or 11th, whatever it is. I, I, I think for now we're all guessing. And I think anybody that tells you that, that you know how the, how this system is going to ultimately impact selection without having seen what the committee's decisions are, uh, is kind of selling you a bill of good. Um, I, I think that there's an attempt here clearly to value road victories and neutral site victories a bit more. And I think that's good. We can sit here and argue about the value of the RPI. You know, it, it, its flaws are, are perfectly clear. Um, but at the same time, you know, I don't think you see a team end up with an RPI of 80 very often that clearly belongs in the field. And you don't see a team with an RPI of 20 very often that clearly doesn't belong in the field. So there is some value to it in terms of, you know, it's not great, but it's not going to completely misguide you from a, you know, from the 40,000 foot viewpoint. So like I said, I'm not sure what to make of the quadrant system. And we're all guessing as to what the impact is going to be up until we see the tournament field with that final data. Now Syracuse can manage to beat Duke and Clemson. Let's say conference tournament becomes less important, but you know, more than likely, Syracuse is going to need to have a strong showing in Brooklyn at the ACC tournament. But by and large, Patrick, in doing this, and I know every case is unique, but how important are conference tournaments in the eyes of the committee from your experience? I tend to see, see it as a conference tournament has a chance to help you much more than it has a chance to hurt you. Now, if Syracuse ends up in the 10-15 game and loses the pit, well, that's not very good. That's a pretty terrible uh, uh, showing there. But for the most part, you have to realize that in that week, that week and a half, I guess now, or we had the Big Ten playing a week early, you know, most of those teams that are at the edge of the field are going to lose again. Like, they're going to lose to somebody. You know, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to, you're not likely to see a team like that win their conference tournament and just get an AQ. So when, when you look at that week, yeah, you're going to lose a game. So as long as you lose to somebody that's half decent or, or really good, it's probably not going to hurt you that much. It's when you have the chance to add a quality victory and you take advantage of it that it, you're able to actually get some help from it. I think about you know, like the NC State team that beat Syracuse in 2014 in the ACC tournament. That really pushed NC State over the edge and into the field. So as long as you don't do something ridiculous, um, if let's say a Syracuse is a seven seed uh, and beats the ten and loses to the two, and that's a push. I mean that doesn't really help or hurt you. Uh, but a lot of teams are going to be in that in that same kind of spot. So I think you have more to gain than you do to lose in that week. But you also have to be aware that what's happening elsewhere does matter and does impact the team's chances. Make sure to follow Patrick's work at the Washington Post and on Twitter. You can find him at D1Scores. That's at D, the number one, S-C-O-U-R-S-E. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe in iTunes or Google Play to have new episodes sent right to your phone or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Brent Dax. We'll talk to you next time.